uh, so the prayer meeting, the Wednesday prayer meeting, that starts this Wednesday. Um, that'll be uh, at 11. So, you know, we were doing that for about six months, and then the COVID uh, uh, pandemic blew up the schedule. And, and so, praise the Lord, little by little, we're getting it back. And so, uh, be, be praying about that. You know, we've got Kid Town starting to open up. Be praying about that. Be praying about helping with that. Uh, you can sign up at mbtkc.org. You can be a part of helping us get Kid Town open. Uh, as things open up, you know, uh, that, with that comes a lot of opportunity. Uh, the, you know, more people are willing to get out. More people are willing to visit with you. And, and so, you know, we're, we've got a lot of visitors coming to MBT right now. At the same time, we've got a lot of people who are, I, I don't know that they were established before COVID hit. And so, for those that are newer, let's make sure that, that, that we're holding each other accountable, that there's an active plan to come back, okay? At some point, you want to, and again, some people still can't, and praise the Lord, you know, uh, there are people that are still protecting people that are immunocompromised. I get that. Uh, some of our members are immunocompromised, and so we're going we're gonna to keep endeavoring to make sure that we keep everything as online as possible. But let me just say this to you, okay, at home. Uh, you, 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 you need to, to bump elbows with a brother or sister in Christ, and we want to see your face. And so I'm not twisting anybody's arm to come back, but I am challenging you to start praying through the plan to come back. Amen? In other words, you don't want to get out of the habit of assembling. And, and so one of the th reasons why we did a set live stream time and, and we've got people working the chat is so that we can assemble together as best we can while we're providentially hindered, but, but this too shall pass. And don't be at a place where you get out of the habit. What happens is stage one, you, you jump off the live stream and you'll catch that up, you'll catch that up later. And, and then, you know, by, by stage 10, you've got the live stream from the church running while you're watching reruns of Gilligan's Island or something like that. And then even before you know it, you're not at, you're not at MBT anymore. Don't let, that, don't let that happen, right? Start praying through what is the plan going to be. We're going to trust the Lord to have Kid Town back up and running by All Church Retreat, to have everything open in July. And so, so keep an eye on the Facebook and the website for details on that. But be praying through, how are you going to come back? We've got three worship services in order to accommodate everyone. And like I said before, if we have to, we'll have four or five, whatever it takes to get it done. Uh, you know that the the CDC recommend, recommendations keep adjusting, and, and so I don't know if you're aware, but I think it's this Monday, uh, new orders start, and so if you're assembling inside the new, let me say this right, the new guidelines say that you must, so it's a guideline, but you must wear a mask in-house, so I'll let you work that out, but assembly through, I think it's July 12th or 14th, mid-July, if you're in assembly, they want you in a mask. Now, we always keep masks in stock, but just know this. You work through the guidelines. We're going to post them. You work through the guidelines, but let's make space for each other. Amen? At the end of the day, wearing a mask, uh, cases are on the rise. 
deaths look like they're still declining, but cases are on the rise, and so let's make sure that we're taking care of grandma. And so if you need help, I think they roped off a section here so that there would be a place to put somebody. Uh, huh? Oh, that was for the choir. Oh, a choir don't want that. Yeah, okay. So we'll figure, bear with us, we're figuring this out. It changes every week. Lord help us. Um, but read through that. Read through those guidelines. There's a lot of caveats for people that they don't recommend to wear a mask. Praise the Lord, the guy that's speaking um, indoors doesn't need to wear the mask. So, uh, you know, I, I, I took mine back into my office and I forgot to bring it out. I was going to put it on after service, but pray for me. Okay, so let's esteem one another better than ourselves. Amen. Let's, let's take care of each other. Let's make room for each other. Just know this, I'm not policing you, but we are posting those guidelines, and, and that should be out this next week. Uh, let's pray, and we will get to work. If you didn't get a handout, the PDF is on all the links, mbtkc.org, on our Facebook page, at YouTube. You can, get, you can download the PDF. If you want a hard copy, raise your hand. And we'll have somebody from the Connections team come out. Looks like we got somebody on this side. Got a couple ladies on this side. Uh, we're going to pray. You just keep your hand up if you want a hard copy. And we'll get you a set of the notes so you can follow along. Father, today we just confess how desperately we need you, Lord. Uh, we need you to open our eyes, open our understanding. Lord, help us to see that your will over our lives, that is the secret to joy to have your word a reality in our life, uh, that's everything. And, and Lord, your, your word, reaching people, the mission, it's worth laying our lives down for. And, and God, we've, we know this on one level, that inherently selfish people or people who give in and live selfish, they're, Lord, we're never happy in that state, that joy comes uh, being right in the middle of your will. Joy comes in having something worth sacrificing uh, to, to further. And so, God, open our understanding as a church. Enlarge our vision. Help us to see that, God, you're worthy. Your mission is worthy. Our lives, they exist to further your kingdom in the hearts of men and women. And so, God, open our understanding, conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to receive your word and then let it work itself out of our lives to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to pick it up in verse 12, but let's review, okay? It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Philippians chapter 2, and what we're seeing in Philippians chapter 2 is a pattern, okay? There is a repeating pattern, in verses 1 through 4, we saw an if-then statement. If you can see God working in your life in verse 1, right? Verse 1, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, in other words, if you can see what God has done, how God is working in your life, then verses 2 through 4 are your responsibility. So we need to endeavor to keep unity. Verse 2 we're to be like-minded, right? Have the same love. Be of one accord, one mind. We're not in it for strife or vainglory and lowliness of mind. We're esteeming one another better than ourselves. Jason, you're better than me, right? Pastor Morgan, you're better than me. That's Pastor 100K, by the way. His article went viral. 
Uh, it's going all over the world. That, you can just call him Pastor 100 Grand right now. He's 100,000 100, reads and growing. So, of course, he's better than me. I'm not Pastor 100K. I mean, what are we saying here? These people that God has put in your life are worth you laying your life down for. They're worth it. These are God's children. This is how God saw us. I mean, I don't get it. In the example that we use, it would be like me trying to elevate the standard, the livelihood of worms. I want to increase. I want to, I want to, I want to help the living conditions of the world. I want to raise them from their lowly station. I want to give them some great blessing. And so to do that, I'm going to become an earthworm, right? I'm going to become an earthworm so that I can lay down my life in reaching earthworms. No sane thinking person would ever even think about that. Whenever you put in a flower bed, you don't pull worms. You don't, you don't go from wormhole to wormhole to see what the worms think about it. The worms got to get out the way, right? They got to get out the way because you're steamrolling. You don't care about the worm. Well, the, the difference between you and an earthworm is the difference between the creator and us and the fact that he would devote that sacred head for worms like us, it defies belief. And yes, that's what the Creator did. He esteemed us better than himself. He laid down his life to redeem us from our sin and to give us a relationship with the Father. Man, we need that mind. That's what we saw in verse 5, right? That's the commandment. We need Christ's mind, and that's what God has for you. And so now the pattern repeats. In verses 6 through 8, we see... What God did for us through the Son, we see Christ's mind, his humility, his service, his sacrifice, and as a result, we saw what the Father did for the Son. He exalted him greatly. He gave him a name above every name, the name Jesus. Jehovah saves. The name Jesus, salvation, is the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, today we're going to pick it up in verses 12 and hopefully get through verse 18. But what we're going to see, again, is the pattern repeat. If you're going to see, if you can see what God has done for you, and we'll see that in verses 12 and 13, uh, he has given us a salvation that is to now work itself out of our lives. And so what do we do, right? If we can see what God has done for us, then verses 14 through 16 We'll see our, our responsibility. If we have a working salvation, then that should be worked out without murmuring, and we're to preach the Word. And then we see the example of the Apostle Paul. When we finish up, we, we'll do that next time. But in verses 17 through 28, we see the example of Paul and his team following God's example, living the instruction that we saw in verses 1 through 4. He's now and his team are laying down their lives, ministering to God's people. And then what is the result? If you can see how God is investing in you, church at Philippi, church at MBT, then we have a responsibility to God's ministers. What do we need to do as a result? So do you see how that pattern keeps repeating itself? If you see how God's invested in your life, this is what needs to come out of your life. And if you see how God's invested in your life, then that investment should come out of your life. Is everybody with me? Are you guys awake? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, pastor's working, you're just sitting there. Pastor's working hard, you're just sitting there, okay? I need, I need some amens and some note-taking, okay? So here it is, verse 5, we need the mind of Christ. In light of his example, in light of what we see that God did through the Son and Christ's sacrifice in verses 7 through 8, look at what he did. 
He took upon himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found and fashioned as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And you see what God in loving you did for you. How do you respond? Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, you need to work out your salvation. That's your first blank. Well, I thought salvation wasn't of works. Well, let's pay attention to what the Word says. I give you a cross-reference that is critical. It's right there in your notes, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Uh, you'll notice I quit putting the cross-references on the PowerPoint. I may go back to that, but I'm just checking to see if we can take notes. All the cross-references are in the PDF or the handout. So if you want those, uh, there they are. You can just go the old-fashioned way and look it up in your Bible. You compare Philippians chapter 2 with Ephesians chapter 2, and you see that when God through the Apostle Paul, tells the church to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, he's not talking about our eternal security. Our eternal security is not what's in view here. Once you're saved, if you're really saved, right, if you're born again, if you're a new creature in Christ, you're stuck that way. Once saved, always saved is a simple way to remember that. In Ephesians 2, the Bible is very clear, verse 8, that we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. And so, to be clear, verse 9 says, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, you don't, the Bible explicitly says you do not get your salvation through your works. So, we're not talking about you being good in order to be saved in Ephesians chapter 2. Whenever the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's talking about Ephesians 2.10. Okay, that's what is in view here. Not your eternal security. But what is your salvation working out of you? What is it producing in you? Everybody loves Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You poll most Christians, most Christians, especially if you grew up in the church, you've memorized Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's great to know that our salvation is not of ourselves. It's not of our works, right? It's all of God. Everybody loves Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but nobody memorizes verse 10. Yeah, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of your works. There'll be no braggers in heaven. But once you're saved, look what God made you. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Did you get that, Christian? You don't get saved so that you just have a ticket to heaven. You don't get saved just so you can take up real estate in Mount Zion, in the heavenly city, in the new Jerusalem. You don't get saved so that you have the privilege to walk the streets of gold. I mean, that is an inevitable reality for every believer. But that's not the ultimate point. That's not the main point. You get saved so that you can serve. That's why you get saved. See, verse 1 is a reality in the lives of the saved, both in, both in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, or in Ephesians chapter 2, and Philippians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 was a reality in your life, and you were by nature a child of wrath. You were lost in your sin. There was no hope for you. But once you're born again, you now see that God is working in your life. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, 
Now you have the love of Christ. You have the fellowship of the Spirit. You are, you are now in bowels and mercies, the bowels and mercies. You see the reality of that in your life. Now you are born again. You are saved. So that's got to work itself out of your life. So when Paul tells the church, when the Word of God says, work out your own salvation, that means you have it. You are saved. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What it's talking about is the salvation that you have being manifest. That salvation needs to be worked out of your lives. Your salvation is supposed to get swole, y'all. It's supposed to get pumped up. It's supposed to get, your salvation needs to start looking beefcake. I'm here to pump you up. Never mind. That's too far back. Too far back. Let me just ask it this way. How you live your life, can what comes out of your life prove to other people that you've been born again? Whenever the lost world, let's say the lost world is hunting Christians, and they're going to do it because they know how Christians live. Whenever they come and they interrogate you, when they look, when they examine what's coming out of your life, can they say about you, ah, you're one of those born-agains. You're one of those believers in Jesus Christ. You're one of those that have believed on the gospel. Can what comes out of your life prove to the lost world that you're in Christ? So you got a lot of people who claim Christ but live lost, and that should never be the case. And I'm not talking about your salvation, how to obtain your salvation. That's solely by the grace of God through your faith, through your belief on the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ. But once you've done that, that should be manifest in your life. Hello, if you're a new creature, you shouldn't be living like the old creature. If you're a new creature in Christ, you shouldn't, what, should, what, what is on display in your life should not be the old man, it should be the new man. It shouldn't be the old life in the flesh that's only condemnation all the time. It ought to be for you to live as Christ. And for the old man to die, that's gain. That's what ought to be manifest in the life of the believer. So what this means is save people. Their salvation, it's manifest. It's, I mean, once you get saved, you can't hide it anymore. It's coming out of your life. And so saved people work out the Word of God. It has to be now a reality in their life. It's how God has wired us. And if you don't hunger for the things of God, if you don't hunger for the Word of God, if, you, if, you're, if the desire of your heart isn't that God's Word over your life is the reality of your life, if not, why not? What got short-circuited? How did that get messed up? You know, a lot of people, especially those that grow up in church, they make professions of faith at an early age so that they can go to heaven, and they end up growing up following mom or dad or grandma or grandpa's God. Can I tell you something? Grandma and grandpa's God can't do anything for you. Well, actually, he can. He is the living God, but he has to be your God. Do you see the difference? He has to be your Savior. My God, yes, he is my father's God. But to me, he's not my father's God. He's my God. Is this making sense? I don't follow my father's faith. I do follow my father's faith. But it's not my father's faith anymore. I follow my faith. I follow the faith that I have in God through the word of God. It has to be yours. A lot of people make professions of faith so that they can go to heaven, and they never came to the place where they recognized their sin separated them from a holy God. 
Was there ever a time in your life when you recognized you were a sinner and there was no hope outside of, and you saw it and you saw the truth of it? You saw the finished work of Christ at the gospel. You saw the gospel, the finished work of Christ at Calvary, and you believed on that. God's solution for your sin was dealt with at Calvary, and you clung to the gospel. Was there ever a time in your life? I'm not talking about when you were a little kid and you prayed so you could go to heaven. I'm talking about when you prayed and said, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive my sin. I know that Jesus took my sin to the cross of Calvary, and your wrath over my wickedness was poured out on him 2,000 years ago. And you said, if I would just believe on him, receive him as my Savior and my Lord. If you, you said, if I would just believe on him and receive him, as my Jesus, as your salvation in my life, that I'd be born again. God, forgive my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life and save me. God, make me your child. Was there ever a time when you did that? If so, the rewiring started right then. You became a new creature. And now the Spirit of God, Christ himself indwells your hearts by faith, the Bible says. The person of God is now indwelling your life and you just can't be satisfied living your life in the flesh anymore. If you can be satisfied living your life in the condemnation of the flesh, why is that? Is God dwelling in your life? And so let me just be cheeky. There is a level where you do need to work out whether or not you're saved, Philippians 2.12, but that's not what Philippians 2.12 is saying. If you are saved, your salvation, it will be exposed. And you're going to be motivated to do that. The command is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is not talking about horror, okay? We're not talking about abject terror here, but rather great respect for something that is very serious. Have you ever watched videos of high power transmission lines? How many know what I'm talking about? I've seen videos dealing with high, high power. Okay, just Google it. It's not for the squeamish. Okay, there are some transmission lines that if you just get too close to them, you can burst into flame. I kid you not, okay? There are two sets of 440-volt transmission lines coming into this building. And thank God for that because you know how difficult it would be in this hot, muggy room without air conditioning to get anything done? I'm so grateful we got to have the air conditioning. Amen? Some of you, you, don't really, you just take the air conditioning for granted. You don't know what it's like. I grew up without air conditioning. We I was 12 years old before we got an air conditioner. I didn't know life could be so good. And once we had the air conditioner, guess what? Can't live without it. Got to have it. Got to have one. Nobody, ain't nobody willing to live without the air conditioner. Okay, so, and some of you, I know you're hardcore, and you think air conditioner. Okay, whatever, that's another discussion. But anyway, for all the rest of us sane people, we want air conditioning. That takes, that ta I mean, that's a big box up on top of this building. And so we've got two sets of 440. Can you believe, there's enough power in this building to run most of this neighborhood, okay? I never want to touch those 440 lines. I never want to touch them. I don't want anything to do with it. I'd rather, I, we, we just need to hire teams of people to handle that because you make one wrong move and it's lights out. It's over. One wrong move and you can literally burst into flame. Now, somebody's got to handle those wires and if it came down to it and I had to, you know what I'd be doing in handling those, trans, those transmission lines? 
those, those high voltage power lines, I'd be doing it with fear and trembling. I wouldn't be an abject terror. I would be taking it seriously, very seriously. I cannot misstep. This is a big deal. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about. Your salvation, it is a big deal. Do not mishandle it. This is something that the creator of heaven and earth has given to you. Work it out with great respect, with fear and trembling. Notice it's to be done whether the disciple is present or absent. You know, a lot of people that know that they've got to work and the work is important, they do work better when somebody's watching them. How many of you may be working? You worked a little harder, a little better when your boss was in the vicinity versus when your boss was away. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? One honest guy in this entire room, two, three, okay, not more honesty showing up. You know how you roll. When, when the cat's away, that's when the mice play. Uh, so you work, you work better when someone's watching. There's accountability, and we all need that. That's where we start. But when you come to the place when the work is yours, it doesn't matter if the disciple or if the boss is watching. It's, your, it's a big deal to you because it's your work. It, it's worth doing. It's worth doing right. So Paul says, obey, right? Like you've always obeyed. Not just when I was there with you, holding you accountable, but now much more than I'm away, obey, work out your salvation. Let your salvation get pumped, right? Let it get swollen. Let it work itself. Let it be functional and work itself out of your life. Moreover here, God isn't just watching, but look at verse 13. God is working in and through you. Here's our next point for study, verse 13. God works. You're to work out your salvation, verse 12, but, but here's how you can do it. Verse 13, God works it out. God works out our salvation, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That word that's translated worketh in your English Bible comes from a Greek word that if you transliterated it, we would call it energy. In other words, it is God that energizes you both to want to and to do his will over your life. So right now, let me ask you this. As a Christian, where is your want to, the desires of your heart, where is your want to set to? Is it to both, both to will and to do of his good pleasure? Is your want to to live out the word of God in your life? What's ruling the day, your will or God's word? Word is your next blank. Now, I've been pastoring for a long time. Uh, I was functionally pastoring before I was ordained for a long time, but I was ordained in 98, so I've been do doing this for a minute, and I've run into so many people over the years that have, many have said as an excuse, but a lot of people have said it, and I think they were genuine when they said it, that they, they can't obey God. They have, they have such circumstances in their life that they can't actually live the Word of God. And, and so they'll either talk about their experience, their feelings, their emotions, or some obstacle that's in their way. I want you to get this down. Do not say that you cannot obey God. To say that you cannot obey God is a satanic lie. Don't fall for that. Do not say that you cannot obey God. That's a satanic lie. Look at verse 13. 
Is our God finite or infinite? With God, are just some things possible or are all things possible? All things, right? Is he an infinite God or a finite God? Is, are all things possible with him? Well, if this infinite, all-powerful God is working in our life, verse 13 says, it is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is doing the heavy lifting. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Paul said it himself in chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Jesus said it this way, John 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, if you live in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth fr uh, much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That's why saved people live saved. That's your next blank, by the way. If you're saved, you're going to live saved. Why? Because you're abiding in Christ. And now as a result, it's inevitable that fruit will be born out in your life. See, saved people want God's will over their lives. Unless you're living in the flesh, following after the flesh, the flesh, man, you know who you are in the flesh. That old man, once you get saved, he didn't go anywhere. You're still in your flesh. There's no good thing that dwells there. Your flesh is still just as lost as ever. And it is selfish. Who you are in the old man, who you are in terms of your flesh, your body, I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, okay? He is selfish. He is lazy. He is arrogant. He is lusty. He's covetous. He's prideful. Man, in my flesh, I want what I want, the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it. And God help the person that gets in my way. That's who I am in the flesh, and that's who you are in the flesh. But in terms of the new man, for me to live as Christ, the new man, oh, man, the old man, what does he want? Don't tell anybody it's pizza night, and if I get a head start, I can eat it all, and I won't have to share any. That's the old man. The new man, he's scary. Man, forget pizza night. We're going to eat Top Ramen this Thursday, and the money that we were going to spend ordering in Pizza Hut, that stuff's junk anyway. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna send that to Boston so that we can win some souls and make some disciples and plant a church to the glory of God. That's what we're going to do for pizza night. I mean, man, that new man will get you in trouble. He'll have you laying down your life, and you'll be smiling about it and full of joy doing it. The new man, it's all about the will of God over the lives of people. I can't obey God. You don't understand my circumstances. According to your faith, be it unto you. Will you come to the place where you will say, I know God is at work in my life. He is working in me both to will and so help me God by his grace and to do of his good pleasure. God's at work in my life, both to will and to do. What God builds in you, it's going to be a desire for a holy, God-glorifying life. So look at verse 14, and this brings us to point number three. He will build in you, right? This salvation that he gave you, it'll start working its way out of you. And so that's what we're going to see here in verses 14 through 16, a salvation that works. And here's how it works. Here's the way it works. Verse 14 says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. You know, murmuring and disputing is the great robber of joy in the life of a person. Have you ever met a person that's full of murmuring and disputings? I mean, just full of bitterness. They're, murmuring, they're upset about it. 
Pastor Sam said this, the church is doing this, this, that, and, that. and they're just, I mean, it's Oscar Grouch on parade. And they're walking through life. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. But this church sucks. And let me tell you, the 10,000 down in my heart. You've never met that person. Murmuring and disputing steals your joy. It robs your joy. Verse 15, why do we do all things without murmuring and disputings? That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you see that? Your mouth and your methods can short-circuit your blamelessness. The way you speak and how you roll can short-circuit blamelessness in your life. See, we're to do all things. Now, remember, God works in us both to will and what? And to live, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. The Word of God is to be a reality in our life. So we do it, verse 14, without complaining, whatever the mission requires. We do it without disputing. Man, it's a privilege for me to lay down my life in order to see God's kingdom move forward in the hearts of men. But we do it also so that we'll be blameless. We're the sons of God. The sons of God should be without rebuke. Why? Because the lost world has to see the reality, the difference that the life of Christ produces in us. Do you see that? Without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. See, God hates murmuring and disputing like any father does. The way a father's wired, in case you didn't get this, most fathers, the way we're wired is we just want our kids to get along. I can give my kids a task, and I can give them instruction on how to roll, and they may not be getting that done, but as long as they're loving one another and agreeing with one another and being for one another, I kind of, you know, they, it's probably not right, but they get a pass probably too often, but man, they're getting along, and, and that just makes my heart happy. And they can be fulfilling my will, right? They can be obeying my commands over their life, and when they're tearing each other down and tearing each other up, uh, well, now the hammer's got to come. I never disciplined my kids with a hammer, for the record. Uh, it's figurative speech. Got to drop the hammer, right? And so it's time to get things straightened out. Just give me peace already is in a father's heart, and God wants his kids to get along. And murmuring and disputing is abhorrent. God warns the church, 1 Corinthians 10.10, we're not to murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. We don't have time to get into it all, but from the exodus to the promised land, God's people just kept murmuring and disputing, full of bitterness and complaining, and God had to keep dealing with them so much so it gets down to Numbers 21, verse 6. They murmured, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Why? Because murmuring is how the lost live. Murmuring and disputing is how lost people live. We're seeing that right now today in our current crisis. Murmuring is how the lost live. The lost world runs their mouth. You see these videos are everywhere now. You see videos of people. They hear something, an ideology. They hear a statement, something they don't like. They get agitated. They get violent, and then they just start screaming. It's very adult. I mean, you see see videos of people in their 30s, even in their 40s, Somebody's saying something, they don't like what they're hearing, 
They start screaming at them, and then the video just, their hands are thrown back, their heads forward, and they're, ah! And that's the response to hearing something that they don't like. How many have seen those videos? Do you know what I'm talking about? They're all over the internet right now. They don't like what they're hearing, and so they just start screaming. I don't like what I'm hearing, I don't like what's going on, so I'm going to throw a temper tantrum. And that's effectively what you're seeing with the riots here in 2020. Christian. Christian. Christ, Ian, I'm talking to you. Little Christ. The one that Jesus is to be manifest through. The Son of God, the daughters of the King, those who are to live without rebuke in this lost world. I'm speaking to you. You have a job to do. So how do you stay on track? How do you stay harmless? That word harmless just means simple. You're straightforward. You're not working to produce harm in God's agenda, in God's kingdom, with God's people. You're on task. How do you stay rebukeless? How do you stay obedient in the mission? How can we stop being whiners and be good workers when everybody else is pitching a fit? Well, the first thing you got to do is get a proper perspective. You know, when you're down in the thick of it, okay, it's easy to lose sight of true north, and you can get upset, and you can get your feathers ruffled. But if you will just come back a few million miles, okay, and get God's perspective in terms of what's really going on in humanity, it'll change your heart. Can I just tell you what's going on in the world today? The world is racing headlong to judgment. That's what's happening in the world today. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, I've got it there for you in your notes, verses 9 through 15. God's promise is that he's not willing that any would perish. His heart is that all would be saved. That all, verse 9 says, should come to repentance. But the day is coming when Christ will return. In his second coming for the world, he's not coming as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. In his first coming, he came as a lamb to lay down his life because everybody has to die because everybody's a sinner. And God's not willing that they would die, so Christ took their place at Calvary. And when God makes a way, right, God the Son makes a way to relationship with God the Father through his sacrifice of everything, and when lost men reject that, make no mistake about it, he's still king of kings and lord of lords. And when he comes back, it's not as the lamb of God, but it's as the lion of the tribe of Judah. When Jesus comes back, it is to rule and to reign. And judgment is coming. That judgment is coming, and when men rebel against that, it will be the reset button on everything. Don't you know sin, death, Everything will be consumed in a final judgment. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Watch this. Heavens pass away. The elements, the very elements melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Here it is, verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Seeing then the judgment, the wrath of God over the sin of man is coming what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy lifestyle, in all holy conversation and godliness? Because verse 12, you know Jesus is coming back. You know judgment is coming. Wherefore, verse 14, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him. What? Living in all holy conversation and godliness. Be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. 
Get the proper perspective. That's going to change how you live your life. And then secondly, do, right? Obey. Work out your salvation. Manifest it. Shine the light. That's your next set of blinks. And that's the question this morning. The light of God is to shine to this world through you. How? How do we do that? Well, here's the work, verse 16. Verse 16 says, holding forth the word of life. You know, we live in a dark world, right? We live in a very dark world. People desperately need light, so it's your job. It's my job to turn it on. In Psalms 119, we know the word is a light. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. In Isaiah chapter 8, people who do not speak truth, they don't speak according to God's word. It's because there's no light in them. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 says that the word of God, it's a more sure word of prophecy, will do well to take heed, to pay attention to it, now watch this, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the light comes, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. So let's hold forth the word of life because we live in a dark, dark world. It needs light, but it also needs life. Psalm 119 verse 116. Uphold me according to thy word, that I may live. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. If you're going to live, it's by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is why the gospel is so powerful. Romans 1, verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That's how people get life. That's how they receive the life of God is through believing on the gospel of Christ. John 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. We're to hold forth the word of life so that people can see the light of God's word in our life through how we live out the word of God, through how we speak and preach the word of God so that they can receive that light and receive life. Does that make sense? Do it without murmuring and disputing. That is your job, Christian. We hold forth the word of life. Paul says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Okay, what is the day of Christ? What is that? Larry's whispering it to me. It's the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, we just went through this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. As a matter of fact, if after church today, if you want, we're doing dollar a slice pizza. By the way, just a snapshot. How many are saying, I want to I stay for dollar a slice pizza and get down the doctrine of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ for the rapture of the church? Can I just see your hands real quick? You know you're staying and you're like, buy some pizza for me. Uh, raise your hand real big, just real quick, so we can get it. I did this in the first service. I'm doing it in this one. Uh, so it looks like 10 or 12 in this room. And uh, do the same thing. We'll just compare those two numbers and just make sure our guesstimate is right, okay? Um, so the day of Christ is the judgment seat of Christ. I'll give you all the cross-references for that. If you stay after, we'll cover it in depth. Uh, after uh, church, we'll do lunch and get in the Bible together. Uh, but then... Look at this. Paul says, I want to get to the judgment seat of Christ and rejoice that I haven't wasted my life investing it in you. More than that, look at Paul's example. He says, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Why? Because the judgment seat of Christ is worth my personal sacrifice, Paul says. 
In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17, Paul was desiring to see the church at Thessalonica. He wanted to go, and, and, and every time he turned around, there was, Satan was throwing up roadblocks. He couldn't get to the church. And he was desiring to see them. Why? Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. God wants his will, his word, to so shine out of your life that it impacts the lives of other people so that other people believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that other people become followers of Christ. God wants to use you to do that. I mean, he wants to use me too. But don't be that lazy Christian that says the ministry is the pastor's work. No, it's your work. We are co-laborers together in that work. You say, well, I don't know my Bible. You came to the right church. We're all about making sure you learn the Word of God for yourself. Get on the path to growth. Learn the Word of God so that you can invest it, so that you can shine the light of God's Word into the hearts and minds of other people so that you get to the judgment seat of Christ and you can point to someone and say, man, I'm so grateful that God used me in your life, and now you're here. You're my crown of rejoicing. It was worth laying my life down for. And so get this down in your notes. God's people are worth laying down your life for. You say, Pastor, you keep ending with prepositions. I know it's good communication. God's people are worth laying your life down for. The mission, then, is worth sacrificing everything in order to see it move forward. I know you've heard it said before, and it's always some, there'll be different versions of this, but it's something like this. If you don't have anything worth dying for, you don't have anything worth living for. Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and three other friends worked their tails off making contact with an Aka Indian tribe in Ecuador. And they were trading from a plane-to-ground system. They'd met one tribesman, only one tribesman face-to-face, and they were building a relationship with this tribe through this trade system. And they finally came to the place where they had peace from God that it was time to land the plane and make first contact with the tribe. They did. It was a January day. They land the plane, and when they met the men of that tribe, they were slaughtered. Uh, They killed all of them, all five of them. But they were willing. They were willing to take that risk. And they laid down their lives trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you, their deaths were not in vain. Their widows continued to try and make peaceful contact with that tribe. And eventually, they won some hearts and they won access to that tribe. And God not only used that to reach that tribe with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to inspire countless missionaries, new generations of missionaries that were willing to sacrifice their lives in order to shine the light of God's Word in places where hearts are only dark. Several years after Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and their friends died, These wives return as missionaries, and they lead many to Christ, including those who were involved in the killing of that first missionary team. Our church has a connection to Steve Saint, Nate Saint's son. Steve Saint uh, was baptized by two of his father's killers. One of them he calls grandpa, he calls father. Uh, That man went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. 
A whole tribe, right, has a destiny in heaven today because a few families were willing to lay down their lives, shining the light of God's word to dark hearts, to be the sons of God without rebuke. What are you doing with your life? Don't waste your life going through the motions, calling yourself a Christian, but really living for the flesh. Don't go through life playing Christian like little children play house. Don't do that. Don't you know God wants to use you to make a difference, not just in the lives of people now, but for all of eternity. Where are the people that can say, I'll lay down my lights, um, my lights, my rights to shine some lights? Look at the example of Christ. Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured his cross. He took up his cross and he followed the will of God. He despised the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Can you lay down your rights and take up your cross? Can you do it here at MBT? I don't like everything that's going on here, but I'm going to participate without murmuring and disputing right? There are things worth complaining about. Just make sure you're complaining up, right? There are, worth thing, there, there are things that are worth straightening out. We need mutual accountability. But if you use those things that you're seeing to murmur and dispute and cause division in the body that Christ bled to unite, man, that's demonic. Don't fall for that. Don't do that. Can you lay down your rights here at MBT? Can you do it to further the mission, the mission field? I mean, who's going to go lay down their life here and go to Boston and help Mike plant a church in Boston? Because guess what? Boston isn't going to win itself to Christ. Who's going to lay down their life here and go with us to Vietnam? Because guess what? Vietnam is not going to win itself to Christ. God wants to use us. He wants to use you. Who can say, I don't need my rights fulfilled. I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to fulfill the good pleasure of God's will, and that will be joy for me because we got to win souls and train up disciples. Look at the result. Paul says, I can lay down my life, verse 17, and rejoice because I know the judgment seat's coming. For the same cause also do you, right, do ye joy and rejoice with me. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, you can look at your heart.